Welcome to Just a Taste. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. Joining us today is Dominic Fiji. Dom is CEO of Beaverton Foods, Inc., where he oversees the company that brings in over $25 million in sales via several condiment brands, including Beaver Brand, Ingelhofer, Napa Valley Mustard Brand, Charlie's Salsa, Tula Lake, and Pacific Parms. Dom, welcome to the podcast. Oh, great to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So uh, we want to hear a little bit about the Beaverton story before we we, we get into the deeper questions, uh, understanding that it was founded in, in 1929. And if I am following the family tree correctly, I think it was by your grandmother, possibly great-grandmother, uh, during grandmother, the Depression. Grandmother, you correct. Yeah. All right. Uh, and it was during the Depression. But share with us a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, how and why she started the company. And uh, I believe her name was Rose and how her legacy has followed through here to uh, what are we now? 90 years later, I believe. Yeah. In fact, it's my dad's birthday this month. He's 90. So I can always remember the name or the age of the company and the age of my dad. They're They're both the same. So. <laughs> uh, my grandma was an immigrant, came to, to Beaverton, Oregon from Genoa, Italy as a young girl, 14 years old. She's the oldest of, of seven sisters. Uh, the family originally had a had a hotel in downtown Beaverton, which is a direct suburb of Portland, Oregon. And, and uh, my grandma grew up and married a nice boy, Grandpa BG, and they had a farm. Um, in the area, Beaverton was known for growing horseradish. And my grandma grew a bunch of horseradish as well as other crops. She would take them into Portland, and you know, you get your provisions when you head into town as an all day trip. The whole seven miles took a whole day to get there and back. And she met a, a nice lady who owned a deli, and uh, her husband had a, a had a hardware store. My grandma got to be really good friends with both of them, and uh, they started kind of buying horseradish, bottled horseradish off my, my grandmother. The name of the, the company or the couple was Eve and Fred Meyer, and, and they were the founders of the Fred Meyer grocery stores. They still exist to this day. And um, they started my grandma's first big customer was Fred Meyer, and, and they got to be really good friends, both her and, the, and uh, Eve Meyer. And, and I encouraged my grandma to start bottling and selling horseradish at their grocery stores. And she developed a route and started focusing on farming and, and manufacturing horseradish. And that was the start of the company back in the 1920s, and that was just to get through the Depression and feed the small three children, one of which was my my father, Gene, who is still around and still the majority owner of the company. And as I understand, he, he still holds some level of a uh, kind of a chief, what we call a chief taste approver, and we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, he's quite a talent. <laughs> Yeah, 90-year-old palate has, has tasted a lot. We'll, we'll talk about him in a moment. Um, so as CEO, we want to talk a little bit about your company and, and um, you know, some of the thought process that goes behind it. Um, you know, I, I, I gather to, you know, I'm going to oversimplify here for a moment, but that uh, the company in some ways keeps things simple, which is to say that it creates good quality tasting products. And, and that's the foundation of everything. Um, we can expound on that a little bit later, but as of right now, we're, we're 90 years into the company and even if Beaverton appears to me to be, you know, not too big and not too small, um, we could call it kind of a, a Goldilocks approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not too small that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're needing to scrape, perhaps scrape by in perpetual 
startup or mature startup mode, but not too big that you, um, you know, get the sense that that you don't have to deal with maybe some of the bureaucracies or other, you know, challenges related to to large companies. So, is is that Goldilocks approach, if we called it that? Is that a strategy, or is that kind of just the way it is? Yeah, I know. You know, it's always been again when you you have a company founded by immigrants and went through the depression. Um, there's kind of a natural uh, affinity for not having debt. Uh, there's a little lack of uh, a trust of banks and big institutions, and um, you know, just do it smart. Very, do it very, you know, control uh, little debt, grow organically and real, um, make a good product, treat your customers right. You know, pay your bills. Um, you know, treat everybody right. You know, and and um, and just have it be real. And we've made a, a you know pretty concerted effort not to. Uh, you know, you have to make a, a a choice at some point. You're going to either get the equity partner in, the big venture capital, and you're going to be on this meteoric rise of being a global institution instead of a global institution. Or we're going to stay at what we call a lifestyle business. You know, this is about our family. It's about my grandma's horseradish and my dad's mustards. And we're going to just try to grow smartly every year and make a good product and treat our customers well and figure out where the niches are and be innovative and, and stay on the cutting edge of fundamental, uh, you know, knowledge and, and just do what we do and try to do it better every year. And that uh, provides us, uh, our family and our employees and, and all our other associates, a good living. And, that, and that's enough for us right now. Isn't that great? It's just, you know, what is, <laughs> you know, as you say, uh, it's, it's, you know, employing a lot of people, it's security for your family, you're doing things the right way. You can focus on quality uh, and not get caught up on scale. And uh, one would have to think that Rose might, might've preferred it that way uh, all along. And, and uh, as a really, really happy, and she just she really liked seeing people happy. She liked putting out a quality product. She liked um, accomplishing something every day. It wasn't about how much money, you know. She enjoyed obviously making a good living, but um, uh, it was it was a lot more a lot more intangible qualities that were were important to her. Mm. And uh, as a family owned company with several several family members on the team. Uh, I'm going to assume for a moment it's not always roses. Uh, what you know, as a true, true family-owned and family-operated company, uh, that is, you know, certainly outgrown. It, it, you know, the be operating out of its garage for for sake. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you face? Uh, do you do you keep family and business separate, or is it kind of one one happy existing? Um, what what are, what are some of those challenges and any perhaps advice you would have for any family owned companies that are looking to to grow sensibly together? Yeah, no, it's it's always a little more difficult when your board of directors are the same people you celebrate Thanksgiving with, um, <laughs> and, and that can have its own set of challenges. My dad ended up buying out his brother, who was his majority partner, after my grandma had passed away, and so um, that kind of you know for sake of argument eliminated half the family that was in the business and. And by that point, my, all of my, me and my siblings were all high school, college age, and and Dad kind of sort of kicked us out into the cold, cruel world. Go get educated, go get some experience, and and then if you want to come back, um, I'm only going to bring one kid back and who's qualified for something here. And so um, I ended up being the one who wanted to really be with the company and 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 did that. Went to college and got some experience, you know, and mostly in the sales arena, you know, selling food and figuring out sales and um, logistics and all that good stuff. Um, 
and was asked to come back in 1990, and I've been here ever since. And they kind of groomed me for this position I have now, which is the guy who gets blamed for everything. And um, <laughs> but it's a, it's always a dynamic to 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 you know we we've always tried to keep the focus on taking care of the company, take care of the company, and the company comes first. And you know some some somewhat the family needs fiscally come you know a distant second. And um, it's always about taking care of the company. And, and if you take care of Beaver and Foods, Beaver and Foods can take care of a lot of of other things. Anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, learn not mm-hmm. to put too much stress and strain on on the company. By a lot of companies, after many generations, they, you know, the founders are gone, and maybe in the second generation has a has a, a flame for the business. But typically, third, fourth generations don't know what it took to get it started, get it going, and and the sacrifices it it took, and for years and years and years, and so they just don't have a passion for it. And um, it's just you know, it's kind of like having a family pet. You've always had it, and so. You don't really appreciate how it got built and how it is to where it is now, and so that's what we keep trying to instill in the other generations: that appreciation for hard work and, and sacrifice to keep the company, you know, going, but also to keep it privately held. Because at some point, the the owners, second generation, third generation, they 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 fall out of love with the company, and they and they just want you know some money, and they want to go do some other things, and they sell it off, and. Um, mm-hmm. At this point, my dad and I aren't willing to sell off grandma and, and all the things that he accomplished and all the things that we think we can accomplish in the future for for another generation or two. Hmm. Well, if you can make it to 90 as well, then you've got quite a while to go. Uh, uh, I'd take it right now, to, to be honest with you. You just say, hey, I'll get you 90. I'll, I'll, I'd put the money down and buy it right today. So, And he's healthy, too. That's <laughs> yeah. and, and sane and all that good stuff. So, sometimes a little too sharp, but he's, he's still real sharp and real... <laughs> Real, real on the ball. Awesome, awesome. So you have five. You have, I think, uh, in your brand portfolio, you have five different brands. Uh, how did how did you come to that? Was that achieved through acquisitions, or did you spawn new brands internally to meet you know a certain market segment? Yeah, some of those were acquisitions, and the Beaver brand was, and we created that one from scratch. But in at the days, and I'm about fifty, sixties, and seventies. Every uh, major marketplace had specialty food distributors, and they all wanted brand exclusivity. And so my dad got the idea of developing these different brands, put a, 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 a product similar in flavor profile on each brand, and let each distributor then go to the stores that it represented. Um, and that worked for a lot of years. And then consolidation happened, and then you know the, what some town that might have three or four distributors now has one distributor for the whole region, some of these – companies are now national and so the brand exclusivity thing went away naturally through through consolidation and and so we kind of uh try to get the brands to evolve over the years where the Ingelhoffers are our gourmet european sort of knockoff brand and the beaver being our uh, kind of everyday gourmet grocery and the napa valley being a a, a food and chef and you know, wine inspired brand and uh, the Pacific Farms is, is basically an Asian brand uh, inspired by wasabi, authentic real wasabi, and um, so we tried to niche the brands and put flavors in those uh, brands that support the, the the idea and the concept behind those brands. And you have you have, you have a ton of SKUs. I, I'm gonna uh, you know sizes aside, but you might have 50. I'm guessing different. Uh, different flavors, everything from Ingelhofer Sweet Hot to, uh, you know, a couple that you mentioned there. You've got Ingelhofer Honey. You've got 
a couple different ha- horse. You have a lot of different horseradishes, cranberry mustard. So, how how do you go about developing the flavors and, and what what inspires them? Then, I think I think really the key question here is how do you know uh, when they are good? Like how how do you know? I, I'm going to imagine that you know to get to 50 to bring to market. Again, I'm making that number up, but it seems about right. You you have to create hundreds, right? I, I'm just guessing. So yeah. Yeah, we're working on a hundred different formulas right now. How do you know when you've struck struck gold, if if you will? Yeah, and see, this is the nice thing about being you know a small company, you know, just big enough to have some scale. It's for kind of we've built in all these costs for rolling product out to marketplace, kind of as part of our ongoing you know business strategy. So we know we have a budget for coming up with new products every year, and that's kind of our thing um we always get ideas my dad's still a voracious idea guy and you know we go out to trade shows and look at publications and go to restaurants and you know watch cooking shows and you can kind of tell flavor profiles and trends that are out there some are sort of short short-lived they're kind of fads some other are long-term and it's kind of a, a skill to kind of pick which ones are long-term and have staying power versus ones that are kind of here and gone and um, we try to come out with product and good packaging with good brands that taste good. My dad just has one of these natural abilities to make things that other people seem to like. And it's really, uh, I've taken it for granted, I guess, over the years. But he, he has developed a, a, his own palate that he he creates things that people like. It's really uncanny ability. And it's a, a real gift. But he worked hard at it for a lot of years over the mixing bowls and to develop his skills and, and his palate. And, um, and we take things out. You know, to trade shows and people respect, he gets a lot of information. It's not a, one of the scientific focus study group by that they teach you down at school. It's it's just kind of people we trust and, and institutions, and we just keep going and going and going until we get something that we really like, and, and Dad has always done that. If he likes it, then he brings it out to market, and we get some feedback and a few tweaks, and then off we go. And and we're lucky we can roll something out. If it goes over, great. Everybody gets a lot of success and a lot of you know gold stars. And if it doesn't, then we run out of labels and we come out with something new. And nobody beats each other up <laughs> right. over it. We're not we're not afraid to to fail. We're only afraid not to have something to show new all the time. And so we're always have something new to show all the time. It's part of our really part of our corporate strategy. That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, I can imagine if you. You know, if you if you grew grew bigger or got acquired, you'd spend two years developing a flavor. You know, go through uh, as many you know possible consumer research and everything else, and then if it fails, it fails, and it's a twenty million dollar fail. Uh, everyone loses sleep and everything. Whereas, you know, you can maintain, I think, an, an element of fun with this. Where, absolutely, as you said you could try something, and if and if it doesn't do well, then sell the stock out, <laughs> run out of labels yeah. and, and move on right. to something else. Right, or... right. We've always, you know, again, it's all built in and, and we're not afraid to fail. Most companies, yeah, to your point, would somebody rolls something out and it fails, they lose their job and they're gone. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and around here, we call that a success. We found out we didn't kill the company off. All right, next, roll the next one out. You know, <laughs> we just keep, it's kind of like having a, you know, kind of a football team, you know, you just, that running back did it, and we're bringing another one. You know, we just keep, you know, war of attrition, just keep rolling it out and plugging away, and just it's blocking and tackling and and doing something. Else. And we listen to the marketplace. We have buyers and people say, hey, we need this product, we need it this way, we do it that, and we we're able to create that for them. And so, 
if you have customers tell you what they want and you give it to them, they have this tendency to buy it. And it's really a wonderful capitalistic notion, but sometimes companies get the notion that we're going to make it and then we're going to force feed it and we're going to demo it and we're going to give it away and we're going to do all kinds of marketing and and do all that instead of just coming out with a really good product and, and let the market dictate what it likes. And to that end, you know, it's pretty clear part of your marketing strategy is to acquire awards, which you've done from a wide range of places, uh, I believe, including Chef's Best. What 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 do you kind of hope to achieve with that strategy? Is that what does that you know stand for and, and say about your company that uh, you know you've you know I think I read that you've got kind of awards all over the walls in your our office yeah. as well, and something you're proud of. But how does that relate to your market strategy out uh, to the public? Well, we've always wanted to be known as the best quality. We're not the highest price, so if we give you the best tasting quality at a, at a fair price, then we feel we're the best value. And so quality of product has always been very, very important to us. And so the awards that we have won have always been from chefs and culinary experts who blind taste things and say, that is the best tasting one. And it just so happens that we've gotten a lot of those types of awards, and we really uh, covet those. And and the chef's best, uh, because it was horseradish, our prepared horseradish, which is you know our our first product, our starter product. Um, and with all the trends going out there, I think there's a you know millennials and new generations that think a horseradish is something that, that their grandpa ate. And I'm we're trying to make horseradish kind of sexy to a new generation. So um, in today's environment, with all the uh, you know celebrity chefs and all the foodies and food networks. Um, you know, let's let's find out who has the best horseradish out there, and and um, this is an award that we feel very honored to have, and now we can go out and market and tell everybody, look, you know, chefs picked our horseradish the best in the marketplace, and you need to try horseradish. And so, you know, we've done some things with horseradish to kind of make it cool. Uh, we've added it with wasabi, we've added it with sriracha sauce, we've added it with hot sauces, and done some things to it to try to make it, uh, you know interesting to a new generation and we kind of want to make uh, horseradish relevant again in the condiment category we mm. think chef's best award helps us let me that. back you into a corner yeah let me back you into a corner what's what's your okay. favorite condiment that you produce Ooh, that's <laughs> the one that your wife or you like to buy and put in your refrigerator that's the one i like the best <laughs> The touche, very, very good. Very now, good. if you're so, asking me which so how, one I use the most, that's a different answer. So, all right, let's go with that. Let's go with which okay. one you use the most. Uh, I actually, I, I really like the whole grain mustards. I, I like that little pop. You know, when you bite into the seed and the vinegar and salt and spices kind of come out. Or I like that tang. I've been using a lot of honey mustard lately. I, I go in waves, and so I, I don't know. I've kind of got a kick on ham sandwiches, and I really like honey mustard and sweet hot mustard and ham. But on turkey, I like. I like the whole grains, and uh, we also have a bacon mustard that I really use a lot on on hamburgers and hot dogs and sausages and brats. And so I kind of back my way into. I pick what condiment I want to eat, and then I, I I prepare the meal that goes along with the condiment. So I I do everything backwards because uh, as I remind everybody around here, this isn't a job; <laughs> it's a lifestyle. So I mean, I, I got to go home. I feel like I need to eat something, you know, condimentally prepared correctly. And so it's always trying to match up the right foods with the right condiments and. And I'm lucky I got a pretty good resource to draw on for every day. So, <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Other than uh, BeavertonFoods.com, where can our listeners find your products? Well, we're on Facebook, and uh, we have a Twitter account, uh, so you can find us in social media. And but we do distribute our products in uh, 98% of the grocery stores in the United States, and so we should have something from our plant in 
in a store near you all over the country. What's wrong with that 2% that is not carrying you? Well, there's a few chains out there that just seem to you know, be not quite uh, on the ball yet. So we're, you know, I can't, uh, I'm not on their board of directors, so I can't force distribution into them yet. So job security for me. There's something to reach for. Well, exactly. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll, hopefully they'll wake up and, uh, and support Beaver Tim Foods. Uh, it want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Um, it's, it's, it's very cool, and I, I think humbling in a way to hear, a, you know, a company after 90 years that is still dedicated to core values of just taking care of employees, producing good products, you know, maintaining quality control above all else, and, um, you know, demonstrating that you can have this, you know, as you said, a lifestyle company, which a lot of people associate with kind of sole proprietorships, but that you can scale it up to something that. Uh, you know, can serve a whole community and, and you know, an entire new generation of families. So I uh, congratulate you for, I'm sure, the many, many, many decisions that you've had to make along the way to, uh, to I think, main, you know, maintain Rose's spirit through the company after 90 years. So you know, I really appreciate that. that. It was a good, uh, good interview. Thank you very much. Super. Well, thank you again for coming on and uh, best of luck as you continue to add flavors and we'll look for, uh, for what your father there comes up with next. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on Just a Taste, a Chef's Best production. Join us again next time as we talk to more experts in marketing, retail, and production in the food and beverage industry. You can always visit us at chefsbest.com to learn more.